Hey everybody, we are live. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We're going to be doing a whole hour of Q&A. And whenever we do these question answers, we'll do them and we'll do them with a theme. So you can ask a question in any area, but I'll kind of infuse that theme into some of my, or all of my answers. And the the one today is, why are you hesitating? That's that's today. And people have a lot of different reasons for hesitating. Maybe you're not hesitating. Maybe you're just waiting to have the time to do it or whatever. But every answer I give you today or a lot of them, not all of them, um, we're going to infuse in like, why are you hesitating? If you guys want to type in any um, questions about, hey, I'm hesitating because of this or that um, about working on licensing my products, you're welcome to, to put that in as part of your question. So as we wait for everybody to stream in, it always takes a little while for folks to stream in. Uh, we'll get to the questions here in a second. Um, let's define what licensing is. What licensing is, you, you got this new product idea, right? And you, you wanna get it out there, but you don't wanna have to raise money. You don't wanna have to hire employees or start a company. Um, and you don't have to do any of those things. So when you license to a big company, it's their money, it's their employees, and it's their existing distribution. So if they're in 30,000 stores, boom, you can be in 30,000 stores. So that's the beautiful thing about licensing. Um, and a lot of people think, well, I have an idea. Okay, I get a patent, then I make a prototype. I got to start a business now. I got to start, you know, I got to tell you guys, just being honest here, retailers do not like one SKU, one product companies. They're really not interested in doing business to you. I've seen inventors do it successfully you can but if you're going to work your butt off to try to get distribution in major retailers that really don't want to talk to you and then you're there you won't be there very long unless you have a whole product line okay so now you got to develop this business and it was more than i thought i just wanted to sell this one product now in order for that retailer to keep me on board i got to come up with other more other products in that space and now it's become this monster but when you license you don't it doesn't become a monster you actually dump all that off on that big company, their money, their workforce, their distribution. But you need to know how to do a licensing deal and how to do a licensing deal with that big company. And most inventors don't know how to do that. A lot of people make assumptions, some very crazy way off assumptions. People that watch us a bit, they're not making those assumptions, but they're still off. So, you know, you really need to get some guidance in those areas. So let's uh, jump in. Um, as we go along, uh, I think I've only gotten a few thumbs up. If I'm going to be answering your questions for a whole hour, if you could give me a little bit, a uh, few more thumbs up, that would be great. I'd like to see at least the same number of thumbs up as the people on live since I'm going to be doing this the whole hour. But, um, you know, I'm not going to insist on that. But I might just sit here and cross my arms and just stare at that number to see if it goes up. Oh, it went up. I'm just kidding. I do that stupid um, joke every single time. And it works. So thank you, guys. Um, but seriously, if I spend all that time doing that work, you know, YouTube needs to see that you appreciate what we're doing here. All right. Um, let's see. First question, uh, Mike. I swear he's not a plant, but it seems like he's a plant or something. He's a longtime member just with the way he asks this. Hi, Andrew. Please explain the new feature with InventRight called All Access. What will that exactly have and when will it be coming out? Also, uh, will it be free or have a cost? No, it's definitely, there's a cost to it. Um, so when we help our students, we coach and mentor them to make an ideal list of companies 
for the particular product they're working on. It's a skill that you need to develop. Most inventors absolutely suck at this. Like I, I look at their product, and these aren't students of ours, it's the public. And they'll say, I'll say, what's your list of companies? They're like, oh, I think these two companies. I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at your product here. You got at least 30 or 40 companies you're not thinking about. It. And they were literally just going to reach out to those two. So that's one really big thing that we do at InventRight is play that numbers game. If you guys are not playing that numbers game, you might as well just quit now. You know, and people will just go with what's right in front of their face, the few companies at the local store that they know or they were able to easily find or the biggest one. Um, and then they think that that's what they're supposed to be doing. It's absolutely not. Now, sometimes you can't make a list of 30 or 40 companies and you, you do it right. And there's only eight or 10 or 12 or something. That's fine. But, you know, you want to reach out to every company that is a potential licensee that is a as major distribution in the major retailers where you want to be, why would you not? Okay. Um, so uh, when we guide our students, we coach and mentor them to make that list of companies. And it's a back and forth with the coach and they're, they're brainstorming and they're doing the research and uh, you know, the coach is guiding the in, students doing the research and the coach is guiding them. But we have this new program that gets people up and running a little bit quicker. It's called all access. And it, we are including it for the month of May with the promotion. Again, I don't want to shamelessly promote, but Mike asked about it. So we're including that along with a bunch of other extras if you go to our website and look at our premium coaching program in the month of May, where we will make that list for you so you can get up and running quicker. I still want our students to work with their coach on making a list, maybe on a second project or something like that, because we don't restrict you to one project. But it's we're making a list and we're including LinkedIn's emails and phone numbers and the LinkedIn is a great place to start. So that's what all access is. It's us making a list of potential licensees. It's no guarantee that you're going to license it. It's not like, oh, call Bob here. We know him. Say Andrew called. No, it's like we looked. We noticed that they're in a major retailer. We found you their LinkedIn and or email and phone and stuff, and we're giving that to you. But we've identified like these would be good companies to reach out based on your product and it's micro category. So that's what all access is. Anyway, let's get to the questions here. And again, theme today, we're gonna infuse into uh, answering the questions is, um, why are you hesitating? Um, so that's the theme. I'm not saying you guys are all hesitating at all. I'm just saying um, that's the theme we're gonna kind of infuse into some of these questions. Uh, cognitive dissonance said, hi, Andrew, uh, call me Cog, cool. I'm starting to reach out to people on LinkedIn. I have a list of companies, but not sure on the job title, the people I should contact. Can you give me any suggestions? You know, it wasn't, we've been doing this for 23 years. So back in the day, it was like, uh, you know, the big debate was people were printing up their sell sheet at Kinko's. And the big debate was, oh, should I FedEx it next day to make it look important or should I send it regular mail? something like that. And then some people are like, oh, should I send a fax? And it'd be like, eh, faxes, they don't, they're black and white. They don't look that good. This is how long we've been doing this. And we've evolved all along the way. And one of those evolutions is reaching out on LinkedIn. Not everybody on LinkedIn is going to get back to you. Not every company or every person that is on LinkedIn is, is on there at all or looking at their LinkedIn on a regular basis. But there's a huge number that are. So it's a great way to reach out directly. What I like about LinkedIn is what it's missing. 
you know, and what it's missing is all that social media, I'm sorry, I'm going to swear, bullshit, you know, arguing about politics or taking pictures of what you ate for dinner. I could care less what you ate for dinner and all the, the, the silliness. And there's not the silliness of the Instagram posers that are, you know, I, I, my wife, I saw this one YouTube video that was about this Instagram person and they were like hanging out their car window with their camera, right? And apparently that heavily facetuned or photoshopped, I mean, you just facetune these days, what they really look like. So it was showing what you thought they looked like in the Instagram photo, but you could see their reflection on the car mirror because they're hanging out the car window, the car window mirror, not the mirror, but the car window. And they look completely different. And it's just like, oh my God, the people, the posers on Instagram are nuts. TikTok's just a S show, if you ask me. There's all these places. If you get on and you look at the right stuff, it can be fantastic. I'm a YouTube addict, personally. Um, and I love learning new stuff on, on YouTube. I will, every night I'll watch at least one to two hours of YouTube every single night on things that I want to learn. So I'm just flattered you guys are here listening to me talk because um, I have people on YouTube. People say, oh, I'm... Like I, I've been picking up the phones lately at Invent, right? People are like, is this is Andrew, the guy on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, I'm picking up the phones. I, I like to do that sometimes. And um, so if I talk to some of the people I watch on YouTube, I'd be like, oh, and they're like, well, it's really you. I'm like, yeah, this, oh, come on, like a D-list celebrity. Come on, um, no big deal, okay? Um, but uh, so LinkedIn is amazing. Um, I went off on a tangent there. So Cog, I'll get back to your question. Um, you said people you should contact on LinkedIn. You know, we weren't always using LinkedIn and now we're using LinkedIn. And, you know, before people were reaching out to one or two. Now we're saying you should reach out to at least three or four until you make contact. Now, once you got that person, they're looking at your sell sheet. They're like, yeah, I'll take a look at it. You know, you should stop reaching out to others in the company. But I like marketing managers are great. Um, I think unless it's a very small company, I would not go to the to the president and their CEO, he's like, I'll go to the top. It's like, they don't do anything. They're just gonna shove it down to somebody else. If you can find somebody a little lower level and they can get rewarded for finding you and showing the big boss the product. But if the big boss gets it and he shoves it down to somebody else, now they're not getting rewarded. Maybe they'll try to throw water on the project or whatever, or tell, tell the big boss why it doesn't make sense. I, that's just one random scenario. But, you, you know, don't go for the big boss unless it's a very uh, much smaller company. Sometimes you'll end up there. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to them, especially if you are directed to go there. But I like marketing managers. I like product managers. Um, what the hell? Reach out to sales, too. They'll they'll quite often get back to you as long as they, you know, they feel like if they think they can sell you something, usually on the phone or email, I want to talk to you. And you don't tell them what it's about. You can usually get a hold of them, you know. Um, but my favorite is marketing and then maybe a product um, manager um, as well. And then you can also do sales. And if it's a really small company, you can do the CEO or maybe a vice president or something or maybe a vice president of marketing. But I just go after a marketing person. It could be a vice president of marketing. So that's just a general. But reach out to a whole bunch of them and then see if you get traction with any of them. Not Don't just reach out to one person in the company. Um, I mean, this is. Even with our guidance folks, a lot of people will reach out to one or two companies and then one in each company and go, oh, I'm not getting anything. It's like, that's not how it works. 
That's not what we teach people to do at InventRight. We teach people to play a numbers game. So, uh, Mike, great question. Cog, fantastic question. You guys always have great questions. Um, uh, Margie said, hi, Andrew. Steven says that DRTV, which is like, there's a lot of names for DRTV, infomercial, DRTV, as seen on TV. It's all the same crap. Um, Steven says that DRTV is struggling. Should we be hesitant to try to license to them? Do they do they deal honestly and fairly with inventors? Wow, that's a very broad statement. I wouldn't want to say that all DRTV companies um, are problematic. Um, I think some DRTV companies are struggling. Would I still license a product to them? Absolutely, I still would. Um, but I think you got to be really careful about DRTV in general. We've said this for eons. When you're licensing to DRTV, if you're very shy, if you're one of those inventors that's so afraid of getting ripped off, do not do DRTV. It'll freak you out. Okay. So when you're doing DRTV, you're swimming with the sharks. I don't care what company it is. You know, they're all little sharky. They're all little get rich quick, right? That's the his history of them. I see them changing quite a bit. They have changed a tremendous amount. Back in the day, you call the 800 number, you'd order, and then they'd double bill you or some crap like that. And, you know, you had to fight to get your money back. And that, that's long since done with DRTV. Um, because people see infomercials and they don't buy it directly. You know, but then they're, they're strolling down quite often. They do sometimes. They're strolling down the wallet, the aisle at Walmart and they see, oh, I saw that on TV. I know what that is. I'll throw it in my shopping cart. If I don't like it, I'll just freaking return it. You know, so that's changed a lot over the years. Back in the day, they try to get you called the 800 number, try to upsell you. The quality was just horrendous sometimes. The quality is good enough now where, you know, if Walmart was getting or Target was getting a ton of returns on these DRTV products, they would be like, well, we're not doing you anymore. So they realized they needed to up their game and they have. And so a lot of the DRTV products are really good. I, I own a, um, I didn't buy it new. I bought it on Craigslist, but I own a total gym. We're using your own weight to do weightlifting and stuff. And I bought it pretty cheap on, on Craigslist, but that's a really good product. So there are definitely some very good DRTV products out there. But are, are have there been problems with some of these DRTV companies? Yes. Am I going to mention a single one of them? Hell no. I don't want to get sued, you know, but you got to be very careful about dealing with DRTV, you know. But so if you're really, really timid, don't do that. And if you're okay with it, go for it. Um, I do see them struggling and adjusting. They were always looking for that next big giant hit. And if it wasn't massive, they weren't interested. And that's one of the things Steven's talking about. Um, these days, they're looking for those smaller products that can just add to an, uh, a product line. They're looking to extend their product line. They're saying, look, I don't want, the retailers are telling the DRTV people, I don't want just a one-hit product. I want not a dog product, but a line of dog products. Or I want a kitchen organization, but not a line of kitchen organization products. So the, the mass retailers the big box retailers are asking for new things from the DRTV companies and they're accommodating them. The DRTV guys were looking for the next big massive hit. And I'm not saying they still aren't, but um, they're looking to do uh, whole product lines and stuff and not only the big bazillion dollar hit. But that's why everybody was so intrigued by the DRTV companies because they did these massive deals where it's just huge. And they were kind of like all or nothing, like let's do a giant big hit or we're not interested. You know, and I was seeing massive minimum guarantees on the part of the inventor. We don't do this much. I saw once, I saw a quarter million dollars a year. If your royalties aren't a quarter million dollars a year, 
um, we're not going to be selling it anyway. So we're, we're going to promise you this. If you don't make it, they don't have to pay you, of course. Um, but and that's that's like that was an extreme example. But I don't see that at all anymore, not even remotely anymore. So it is changing. Um, but if you're really gun shy and really worried about getting ripped off now, I've never had one of our students in 23 years with students in 65 countries get ripped off by a DRTV company or any other company where they sent them a product and then they just start doing it and said, screw you. We're not paying you. I don't know why I'm swearing today. I don't normally swear. I'm having fun with it once in a while. I'll stop doing that. Um, and we're not going to pay you. We're going to do it anyway. Like I've never had that happen to an event right student with DRTV or in other industries. But if it's going to happen, would it be a little more likely to happen in DRTV? Absolutely. I think it would. And there's some history of that. Not with our students, but our students, like people don't mess with our students because they see they know what they're doing. Typically, companies will mess with that inventor that's really clueless and doesn't know what the hell they're doing. That, that small percent of like maybe three or four percent of the companies that would mess with you and do something that wasn't cool or, or ethical, they are more likely to mess with an inventor who doesn't know what they're doing than one that does. And so when our students send great sell sheets and they're not rambling on emails and they, they can hold their own on the phone because our negotiation coach told them what to ask and stuff, I don't want to mess with you. And I think that's the reason why it hasn't happened in one of our students. So I, I'm, I think it's fine to work on D or TV. It seems to be a rapidly changing landscape on what they're looking for. And they're not just looking for that next big massive hit. So, but I wouldn't hesitate personally to submit to DRTV. Um, but if you're really, really new, really to it, you know, sometimes you have a DRTV type product and you'll have standard consumer product companies there. Oh, they could be a list. And then I got a list of DRTV companies. Well, just go with those other ones if you're a little gun shy and don't have anybody helping you or anything. Uh, let's see what else we got here. We got a lot of questions. If you guys could give me, I don't have as many thumbs up as I do people live. So I'll just sit here and cross my arms until I get more thumbs up because YouTube needs that. They need to know that you think that I'm helpful, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, okay, moving on. Uh, Andrew King said, hey, Andrew, I'm not hesitating. My parents who would be paying for your services, however, are if you want to laugh about it. My dad used to be an IP lawyer. That's great, Andrew. Um, so, you know, I think if, if your parents are paying for, I think that's great. I'm assuming you're younger. Um, I think it's absolutely fantastic that you could get in earlier in your life into the licensing game. I bet there's a ton of people here that are in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. They're like, I wish I started doing this licensing thing sooner. I tell you, people tell us like every day, all day long, I wish I'd found you guys sooner. I didn't realize that this was doable. I thought I needed to do this and this and this and this, and I was overwhelmed, and I realized I can do it now. So, um, Andrew, if you are younger, great name, by the way, um, and your parents would be paying for it, I think it's a great thing to do. You know, um, you can go to college and you, you take, tests and you learn stuff but you, you're going to use most of that stuff everything we do is extremely practical this is how you reach out to company this is how you negotiate this is how you do this and that and that and it's just and it with you know it's like a case study too it's like you're an apprentice you're actually working on it you're working on your widget you know and i found that when you're working on your own product that's when you really learn otherwise it's just kind of theory right to you it's just kind of abstract even though we bring it down to a level in which people can understand it but um, when you can work on your real life project and a coach can guide you it really makes all the sense in the world and it sinks in 
um, and your dad's a, a patent attorney, he may never give you the money. He may go, you know, um, <laughs> you might say, I don't like these guys. Sometimes they give patent attorneys a hard time. And, and we do. Um, but, you know, you're just kind of making a joke of that. It's all good. You could probably, he's probably had so many people where he couldn't help them because he's writing patents. That's his area of expertise. He doesn't understand licensing as no patent attorneys I've talked to really do. And that's fine. They're, everybody's got to play a role. But you could probably, you know, show him and he'll be like, damn, so that's how it's done. Um, if, if, if he wants to sponsor you and to get some coaching. Anyway, um, let's see. Uh, Dave said, got him. Sometimes I got to wear my glasses here. Dave said, hi, Andrew. It seems the patent office changed the search system from the last year. It's terrible. You cannot search by application only. You cannot search by application only. Wow. Of course you can. Specifications, claims, et cetera. Is there an easy way to do this? Well, first off, I think most, we have uh, trainings inside our membership site where we train our students to do patent searches. And most of the time, um, we show you both, you doing it on the patent office site and Google site. And most of the people are using Google because it's a little bit easier, definitely. But um, there's no searching by application. You want you cannot search by application only. Oh, I guess. I mean, if you got a patent number or a name of the inventor, you can search by that and you can search by company. You can search by all sorts of stuff. So maybe they just changed the site. I could I could only think that that would be really weird that they had all this functionality and then the patent office suddenly you can't search on all this stuff. I don't believe that to be true, but I do believe that they might have changed it. Nobody told me. They might have changed it. Now you can't find it. Um, but you can also use Google patents, which I find a lot to be a lot easier. Um, your name's very familiar. Remind me if you were a past student or not. I know I know your name, um, David Church. So let's see. Edgar and Jess, thank you for your help. Uh, you're welcome, guys. Um, still haven't got as many thumbs up, guys, down below as number of people on. I appreciate that. That would be great. Um, James, uh, good, good, good. Oi said, uh, you guys are great. Thank you, James. Um, William says a typical license gives a company the right to manufacture oftentimes in China and market in the U S true on, uh, my next license, I'm going to request that the licensees sell to trading companies in, and then it gets cut off and I don't know where. The rest of his question is so i'll just go with what i have there so on my next license i'm going to request the licensee license to trading companies okay i had no idea where he was going with that but i can kind of guess companies and i'm just going to make a broad statement and it may be addressing what greg is talking about it may not we don't know because his question got cut off there for some reason um and William, you're welcome to type in the remainder of your question. Companies are going to do whatever. This isn't swearing. I said I wasn't going to swear anymore today. Whatever the frick they already do, period. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean they're not going to sell a new product, your invention. It doesn't mean they're not open to innovation. But if a company sells in six retailers on Amazon and you're going to tell them, you should sell here and here and here, and it's not where they typically sell, they're probably not going to. 
and you should be okay with that. But you see they sell these six major retailers and on Amazon. Damn, yeah, I would love to sell to a company, license to a company that's in all those places. They're going to do what they do. If a company's making dog toys and you're like, hey, you should sell, I've been to Super Zoo, you should sell hamster stuff too. Well, when you go to Super Zoo, that trade show for the pet industry, there's specific companies that are going to sell like lizard and hamster stuff and those types of things. That's a weird combo. One eats the other, right? But anyway, um, and you're not going to go, you're not going to go, well, but you should, you sell dog stuff, but you should get into reptiles or hamster wheels and stuff. It's not what they do, right? Now, so they're going to utilize their existing distribution channels and they're going to sell in the markets that they currently sell. Or like you notice they're in Target and Walmart. Hey, you should sell in 7-Eleven. You should, you should, you should. You know, and it's like, well, you notice they've got 5,000 products. I've talked to one of our companies we came on just the other day for Bridging the Gap. They have 5,000 products, okay? 5,000 different products. You're going to tell them they should sell in convenience stores when they don't? No, the whole point of licensing is tapping into, plugging into what's already there, okay? So it sounds to me, but his question got cut off or he didn't finish typing it or whatever. Um, on my next license, I'm going to request that licensees sell to trading companies in, and then he didn't write. So you can suggest, that's fine. But again, the whole point of licensing is tapping this big old company that has what you want, the distribution, the money, the, the everything, the designers to develop the product, the everything, okay? To ask them to do something dramatically different, not, your product might be dramatically different, but not in a different distribution channel or sell it in a different way. Like, like I had this one person that um, said, you know, hey, they're, they're showing interest and um, they, they, they were showing interest in the product and they told me and we, we caught it before it happened. Uh, and they said, well, I'm going to tell them they need to sell this where they can monogram each one. I'm like, well, I'm looking at their product line. I don't see anything monogrammed. They're selling in Walmart. They're selling in major retailers. They're going to sell like 10,000 units here, 5,000 units there. They're not, none of their products, a customer's going to their website and it's getting custom monogrammed on each one. That's not the business they're in. If you talk to the potential licensee and you tell them that, you're going to look like an idiot. You're going to look like you don't know what the hell you're talking about and you're an unrealistic inventor, okay? And I caught it before it happened, but they were ready to tell the company that, you know? Um, so let's see. I'm going to start to need wear glasses like regularly here. Uh, so anyway, William, thank you for that. Um, so today the theme is why are you hesitating? Not assuming you guys are hesitating. Most people are hesitating for one reason or another. So I'll try to do a little bit better on the next half hour to kind of infuse that in to what we talk about. Um, so it looks like this might be a good one. Tony said, uh, what I'm stuck on at the moment is how difficult it is to work with uh, Design Studio. Okay, that's our design department. I've had a bad experience trying to work with digital designs for higher services, mostly language barriers. Can we actually speak with them on the phone? So Tony, I don't know if it really shouldn't be a problem because if you are an InventRight student, maybe you ordered publicly and what you sent them wasn't clear or or they didn't understand something. But when you work with us and we coach and mentor you, the coach will make sure everything is spot on that we send to our design department. 
And then our design department will do a good job because the coach helped guide you as to what to send. But when people publicly order from our design studio, garbage in, garbage out. Not saying what you sent was garbage. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying they didn't understand. But you don't have a coach helping you with the marketing. So particularly on the marketing, I've seen some stuff from design studio. It's like, well, that's it. So our designers will do whatever you tell them to do. They're not your coach. They're not your marketing team. That's what our InventRight coaches do. So if you give them bad marketing, it'll be a pretty piece of junk. They're going to say, you say, well, I want the images here and I want this to be the benefit statement. This is the bullet signs. And um, Stephen looked at uh, somebody that got a design um, a cell sheet done from our design studio who was not an InventRight student, but the public. And he looked at it and he said, this looks beautiful, but I don't understand the product. And he's like, did we do this? And they said, yeah, we did it. We did. You, you guys did it for me. And he said, did you have a coach? He's like, no, I don't have a coach. I just ordered a sell sheet and a virtual prototype. And he's like, oh, okay. Now I understand why. He's like, I don't get what this product is. This looks beautiful. You know, it looks like we did a good job. So, um, but Tony, I guess the question is, um, drop me an email if you're frustrated at Andrew at InventRight. And I'll take a look. If you're a public um if you're if you're uh, publicly ordering and you're not an event rights student, you have no coach helping you. Maybe you need a little help. Maybe what you're sending is not good. Maybe they're not understanding it. Okay, it can go it can go both ways. But send me an email at Andrew at InventRight and just say I'm a little frustrated. I'm trying to get this done, and I'll I'll send it over to our design studio manager Leslie that manages all our designers, and he'll personally help you out. Maybe he's already been helping you out, but we'll we'll get that taken care of. And if you have a coach, like they'll just take care of it for you. Um, okay. Uh, Margie said on on another question: Can new students to InventRight choose their coach, or is the coach assigned? No, they can absolutely choose the coach. But um, what we do is customer service will call you and they'll say, "What's your schedule like?" And you're like, oh, I has to be mornings that I'm going to do my meetings with my coach or after five or middle of the day or whatever. So the immediately customer service is looking at all the coaches and they will have some will have availability on a particular week to have a new student put on with them. Some not. So that eliminates some coaches. And then another criteria is like you're like, oh, it has to be mornings East Coast time. It's like, oh, OK, here are your two coaches and they'll talk to you about those two coaches and then you can pick. Um and if you're not vibing with your coach in like the first, second, third call, let us know. We'll move you to another coach. It's not that often that we have to do it, but we want you to be completely like, wow, they're, they're amazing. They're guiding me along in all of this. So um, that's how we kind of filter it down. And then, yeah, you can pick a coach amongst the ones that are left after those criteria. And then if for some reason you're not vibing with them, just let us know. We'll move you to a different coach. But you're always on every meeting with the same coach because like you don't want to have to re-describe your product to a coach on this different call, you know, just to let you guys know that's how we work. Um, and then our negotiation coach is waiting the wings to help without with any negotiations. Um, let's see. Uh, Hooch Design said, "Hi Andrew, I'm hesitating because I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Is the juice worth the squeeze?" There you go. <laughs> I like that. Um, you know, I, I talked to a gentleman this morning. And he explained to me how passionate he was about his ideas that he, he's actually an artist, too. He's a sculptor and I think an artist. And he's like, I got a beautiful drawing of my product because he happens to be an artist and an inventor. OK. And and then he said, because I asked him, I said, what's your why? 
And he said, well, I want to make money. And I said, well, it sounds to me like with everything you said, you want to express yourself. You want people to enjoy your, your products that you create as well, just like you do your artwork. He's like, oh, yeah. And I said, that's the killer combo. When you really want for people to enjoy your product and for them to be on the market and see it on the source shelf, and you want to make money. I don't talk to many inventors because I think we scare them away, but because we don't sell get rich quick or anything like that. Um, I don't talk to many inventors who are like, it's all about the money. You know, they're, they're out there. Um, they end up getting scammed by these invention promotion companies quite often because they play into that. Um, but most people are like, yeah, I want to make money totally, but I want to, and they, you don't, they don't verbalize this, but when I ask the right questions, I want people, I want people to enjoy this product. This product makes sense. This product needs to be on the market. People need to have this. And when you have those two things, you're 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 doing fantastic. So, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the effort worth it? Um, you will not license. No one, guys, no one will license every single product they work on. But every single InventRight student, if they've applied what their coaches taught them, that if they don't license product number one, they might very well license product number two or product number three or product number four, because now we've empowered them with that approach. Okay. Now, and all the time, I talked to a gentleman this morning, like you don't license a product, you get 30, this is very common, non-specific no's, not at this time, not a right match for us. Should you be reaching out six or eight months later to most of those companies again? Because it's like the easiest thing in the world to do while you're working on another product. Hell yeah, you should. Now, if they say it won't work because of this, this, and this, and let's say three companies tell you that, and you're like, oh, I just didn't realize this. And okay, don't resend to those companies if they perceive that as a problem. And if it's a problem that's going to kill your project, you got to move on to the next idea. But that doesn't happen very often at all, guys, very often at all. Most of the time, it's these non-specific no's, not at this time, not a right match or something like that. And a lot of those people trip out on this. But a lot of those, not a lot, there are marketing managers that got, let's say you reached out to 30 companies that got it and thought it was cool. And you're like, well, Andrew, why didn't they, why didn't they reach back out to me? Are they going to steal it? Does that mean they're going to steal it? No, they're too freaking busy. They're a marketing manager of a big company. They got five projects inundated with email. They're overwhelmed. They got two different bosses breathing down their neck and they got a lot of stuff going on. So they don't have time for it in that moment. And if they let you know that they thought it was cool, you just won't go away. So they reply, not at this time or whatever other generic responses they give. That's the most common one. Um, so now if you went ahead and licensed it to another one, great, good on you. But let's say you didn't. Let's say, let's say you got a little interest from two other companies. They both fell off. And now you've reached out to 30 companies and you're you're like, oh, I'm done with the project. Oh, I'm done with licensing. Or sometimes inventors are like, well, I couldn't license it. I'm going to start a business now. God damn it. I'm going to show them I'm wrong. It's like, what's your business model? You're going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars, risk your family's savings, quit your day job to venture and try to sell this product yourself. Or are you going to move on and license another product? And then maybe six or eight months later, you'll resend all these companies like all the time. Now, one of those marketing managers thought your product was cool or they didn't see it at all. And you hit them at the right time. And two weeks earlier, their boss said, we need new products. And lo and behold, they're showing interest. And they weren't before, um, but now they're showing interest. Happens all the time. 
most I've never heard anybody give that advice. I only started giving that advice to our students about 10 years ago, and it's resulted in deals. And I had ulterior motives for giving it out first. I just want to, I had a student or several students that were, uh, they just couldn't get moved past the fact that they didn't license their first product. And I need to get them past that because I saw they were creative and I saw they were able to go through the process, but it's just like they just couldn't get past it. So I said that because we hadn't said that before. We've been around 23 years. I, I wasn't guiding people to do that more than 10 years ago. And people started to license products, lo and behold. I mean, I needed to get them past that hurdle, right? And, and now it's a, been a standard part of our approach. So um, so anyway, so, so Hooch, uh, the, the, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, don't think that it's just like, oh, I'll just squeeze like that and I'm done. You know, it's not going to happen that way. I mean, I've had students that have been a member, I think maybe one, okay? was a member two weeks first person they called got interest did a deal great i'm very happy for them is that normal hell no it's not normal you know and, and typical negotiation time once you get interest is like one to three months of back and forth so you know when I, it concerns me i think it's great that you wrote that but if you don't have staying power if you don't want to come up with more ideas if you don't want to get a ton of no's and realize you only need one yes with each product and that you're going to work on more products eventually, even though you're really focused on this one current product, if you don't want to do all that, do not do licensing because you may license your first, it may be your second or third, or maybe your first, but you license it after your second or third because you don't give up on it because it makes sense. And you already have your freaking sell sheet. You have you have a, a PPA maybe filed. If not, you spend another 60 bucks, bucks and file the PPA later, like a year or two later, and you send it back out again. And same sell sheet because it's a great sell sheet, and boom, you license it. So if you don't have the staying power and you're not going to be working on your projects two, two hours a week every week for a long, long time, and you think this is just I came up with an idea, I call a few companies and I'm done sort of thing, don't do this. But if you're going to be committed to it, it's just like sweeping the floor once you learn the process. You do not need to like be a captain of industry. It's like, okay, Monday rolled around. I'm going to follow up with these 10 people on, on LinkedIn today. And then on Tuesday, I'll follow up. And it takes you no time to send a quick follow-up text or email or something like that on, or a DM on, on LinkedIn or, or another follow-up email or something. It's very, it's not time-consuming at all just to do a little bit of follow-up. But you got. But if you start thinking about it, oh, I'm so upset. It's my favorite company, and sometimes I get students that say that, and I'm like, well, how many times have you reached out once? Or they're like twice. I'm like, how about three, four, five, six times? And then the ones that didn't get back to you, keep busy reaching out to them, and then you roll back around to this one. And then when you get when you get a little good at, it, you start having two projects in your pipeline. So you're not sitting there upset you didn't get an instant response because you got other stuff to do, right? That's the way you deal with the anxiety or the, the the stress of like not hearing back right away, which you totally won't get your back. Or the fact that you need to reach out three, four, five, six times with some of them. That's just normal. Once you accept that and you realize it's not hard, it's just, but you have to go from being a creative person, which is not easy, to being an organized person that follows up. You're not a salesperson, but you're just following up with people, you know? And you're following through and that takes some organization and that is hard to go from just being creative and keeping in your head to actually reaching out to companies and keeping things organized 
um, and keeping motivated and all that. So, Hooch, you you know, if you decide to become an event rights student, and if you were not complaining to your coach about something, if you're not like upset about something, I would say you're not doing the work. Guaranteed, you will be upset. You didn't get in your favorite company or this or that or whatever it is. And that shows you're in the game. So as long as you're okay with that and realize that you're you're learning something new and it will take a while, then good. But if you want like, and you're not saying this, if you want instant gratification, you will not get it with licensing. You might get lucky, but it's gonna take a bit and you have to be willing to do that. Now, the beautiful thing about it is they're taking massive risk and you're taking like no risk, like like literally almost no risk um, with regards to licensing. I mean, you file a PPA for 60 bucks, sell sheet, VP, virtual prototype, maybe you're reaching out and, you know, and then they're gonna be spending maybe tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch this product. They're gonna be doing all the work. Like there's nothing better than that, you know? So, um, all right. I rambled on that big time. So so maybe that was, you know, Hooch, that's why he's hesitating. You know, our theme today is why we're answering questions and saying, why are you hesitating? You go, is it worth it? Is this real? Now, Hooch, what you can do is you go to InventRight, you can click on member success, and you can see a ton of students with products like our, we call our client students, members, currently on the market today. And that was just something quick we threw together. That's just some of them. Um, and, that have, and you can click on and literally buy their product today. Now, some of the products aren't up there. Like I had a gentleman license a CPAP device. That's not up there. We put the consumer products up there that people can buy because um, it was actually for a holiday gift guide. And then we just converted it and just made the button member success. And you can buy these students products. You can support our students that have licensed stuff. So it's a lot more than you see there, but it's quite a bit. You'll be like, holy crap. You know, so there's your, your, your social proof that it works, but that doesn't mean you're not going to need to do any work. So... And that, that takes a while. And you might listen to us ramble a little bit more and then eventually decide to or you decide not to. If we help people move on, that's fine as well, you know. But it's not it's not a bunch make a bunch of money overnight. Um, so Chuck said, does it take a lot of money to get your idea out there and patent? Um, Chuck, if you're new, we don't tell people to get a patent. And everything I share today should not be considered legal advice. Please consult your attorney if you're looking for legal advice. That's my little disclaimer. We we advise people to get a provisional patent application. And we give our students software to do that. You can buy it separately on our website too. Although if you buy that and you don't know how to license a product, filing a provisional patent won't really do you any good because you don't know how to reach out. But it's called Smart IP. And we talk to our students about all the variations, workarounds, improvements. Anybody can file a provisional patent application. But um, so you said, does it take a lot of money to get an idea out there and patent? So first of all, your grand first misperception, which I'm going to set you straight on, is the first thing you do is get a patent. It's absolutely not. I mean, it can cost you eight to twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars to get a patent. Do you need to do that? Absolutely, freaking not. Is it stupid to do it? Once you know that you don't need to, yes. Now I have a lot of people that um, have filed patents and come on board with us, and they're like. And some of them are apologetic. Well, you don't need to apologize for anything. Everybody thinks to get a patent is the first thing. That's okay. You just didn't know. Um, but when you get a provisional patent application, you can file it yourself. It's $60. They lowered the fee from 75 to 60. It lets you say patent pending. You don't have to have say provisional patent pending for an entire year. And so that's plenty of time to reach out to companies. If they get interest, you can get the company to pay for the patent. 
or even if they don't want to, you got a deal on the table now. Now pay for a patent if they care. But also the other big misperception is you need a patent to do a license deal. Our students do license deals all day long. They follow the provisional. Companies like, yeah, we don't care about the patent sometimes. And they will still sign a contract that says they need to pay you for every unit sold. The thought that you need to have a patent or you're selling your patent is just utter BS. It's not true. Now, with some companies, they will make a contingent on the patent. It's very important. I'm not saying it's not. It goes from, we don't care. You can file it if you want, but we'll pay you regardless, to, yeah, we kind of want the window dressing. Yeah, we want to file a patent or we want you to file a patent, to, oh, my God, like a medical device company. No, no, no. Very important for us. But to think that it's very important for every company you're going to license to is completely and utterly false. And it's not true. And so you don't need, you need to spend $60 on a provisional patent. If you buy our software on our site, it's $99 for smart IP and it will guide you to do it. But if you don't have a coach, you know, helping you with all the variations and things like that and guiding you on reaching out to companies, creating good marketing materials, creating your list of companies, all that sort of thing, um, you know, what good is a provisional patent going to do? You'll file it and you'll sit on your hands for a year and then it will run out. And yeah, you can file it again if you haven't made public disclosure. But um, so no, it's not expensive at all. You can get a sell sheet and a virtual prototype and a provisional patent for, for next to nothing. And now, of course, we charge for our coaching and mentoring because we coach and mentor you for half a year. And there's information about that up on InventRight. Um, but yeah, don't. it's not expensive. You can totally do this. You can, you can, you could, you could basically work on a product for less than two, three hundred bucks. You know, you can definitely. Um, okay, so next one, um, uh, I got. I still only have, uh, I only have a percentage of people that give me a thumbs up. If the rest of you can let YouTube know that you liked me answering your questions for a full hour, I'd really appreciate that. If you haven't given the thumbs up at the bottom. And if you're watching the recording in the future, please give me a thumbs up there too. I'd really appreciate that. Um, so, because that's pretty unusual, guys, that a, a, a company that has a mentoring program will come onto YouTube regularly every freaking Monday and answer questions for a whole hour and not like just try to sell you on their program every two minutes. Some of you guys have asked questions directly and I answer them. So, um, yes, I'm saying we're cool and please give me a thumbs up because we're cool. That's what I'm saying. Yes. I, I am admitting that. Um, so uh, let's see, TRH McLeod is their handle. Hi, Andrew. After filing uh, NPPA, which is a non-provisional patent application, just a regular utility patent, um, am I really protected enough to show an explainer video of my product on my website? Um, so uh, TRH, if you're licensing, I don't think you need a website. You know, we always guide our students to do a sell sheet. And if there's a video, making an unlisted YouTube video that only people with the link can see, you don't need a website. So I don't know if you're venturing, or if you're licensing, if you're selling the product yourself, obviously you need a website. But um, I just, it's not, first of all, a patent is only a right to sue. So yeah, if you're licensing, I don't recommend you throw up a website and make that public disclosure. Hell no. And I definitely wouldn't go like posting it on LinkedIn or Facebook and go, hey, look, I got 50 likes. Like no company cares that you got 50 likes. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. If you said I sold 20,000 units, okay, but you don't need to sell 20,000 units. You don't need to sell a single unit. 
95% of our students have never sold a single unit and they're able to do a licensing deal and put all that off on the big company. Now we get students that have been venturing the product and they come on board and I'm like, well, that's great. You got a website and you're selling this much every month. Keep that there, that's fine, but let's work on licensing this. And so you can do those both in tandem. But um, yeah, you've got patent, you've got patent pending status, you filed it, it hasn't been issued yet, TRH, I'm assuming that's what's the case. If you want to throw a video up or put it on your website, you can do that. But when you're licensing, I don't think a website is necessary at all, and nor do I recommend that you create a website. Companies will not take the time to look through your website, guys. I've seen a few websites where right at the top, boom, I get the product. It's usually not the case. When you reach out to a company using, um, using a sell sheet or a video, if it's a sell sheet, they need to get it in six seconds. If it's a video and it's under a minute, you can't lose them in the first 15 seconds. They don't have time to go to your website. They don't have time to look through anything. They need to get it right away. So when you send a PDF and it's right there in their email and they just get it, that's what you need to do. Do not underestimate the power of distraction. The power of, you guys know how busy you are. How many things do you ignore every day in your email? Oh my God, you ignore probably boatloads of stuff, all right? And when you're asking them to do a chore, which is go to your website and look through it, and a lot of the websites that I see, it's like, I'm not getting this right away. It's not jumping out at me. But a sell sheet, a one-page sell sheet, which we guide our students to do, we coach and mentor them to do, that they can get in six seconds, that they can handle, and that's what you have to do, okay? So um, TRH, if you have not created a website and you're licensing, I would say don't, don't do it. It's just a giant waste of time and you should not be sending people to your website. Um, you should be sending them, emailing them your sell sheet or um, a link to an explainer video. That's fine. You said you had one and it's an unlisted. And when you do, just give you guys a little tip there. Maybe I'll get a few more thumbs up. Almost everybody's giving me a thumbs up. I appreciate that. Um, when you, when you upload a video to YouTube, you don't want that any of the public to see that, right? So you don't make it public, definitely. That's obvious. And people go, oh, I'll make it private. Problem with the private thing is they need your YouTube, you need their YouTube username and theirs to share that. That's ridiculous. No marketing manager knows their YouTube username so you can share it just with them. It doesn't make any sense. And then there's unlisted, okay? That's the third one. Unlisted means literally, it's like a password. Literally, only people with the link you send can see it. So it's a special link, it's hidden, nobody can Google it or search YouTube and find it, and you send it to them. And if they click on that link, they can watch the video, or if they forward it to their coworker, which you want to happen, they can watch the video. So it's like a password. That's what you wanna do. You wanna do an unlisted YouTube video so you aren't making public disclosure. Not private, but seeing people that aren't event rights students make it private, and then it gets all confusing, and it's like, well, you know, you should you should have thought about that beforehand. But you know, it's really not the end of the world. If if you guys have ever reached out to a company and you you got started and you're like real watching us, you're like, holy crap, I was doing everything wrong. No big deal. Just start over and start reaching out again. Hopefully, they don't remember you and you'll be fine. Um, so today's theme is why are you hesitating? Um, so TRH, like maybe he's hesitating because he's got all these questions. Should I? put my, should I put up a website? Can I put it up? I just filed a patent application. So what a lot of, some people, this is craziness. So to think that your patent needs to issue before you can start reaching out to companies, like, oh my God, are you freaking kidding me? 
you're going to wait one to three years for it to issue. It does happen quicker right now. There's a time where it was regularly taking two, two and a half years, but now it's it's going quicker. But still, to wait for your patent issue, and I've had inventors tell me like, oh, my patent issued. Now I'm ready to reach out. I'm like, congratulations, you waited longer than needed, so maybe the product doesn't even make sense anymore. Why the hell did you do that? When you had patent pending status and filed a patent, you were good. But even better, file a provisional patent for 60 bucks, which is patent pending status still, you can legally say patent pending, and see if there's interest. Don't spend 10 grand, spend 60 bucks, okay? Um, and I, I can't, I know we say that all the time in event, right? But there's always somebody new, like, holy crap, you just saved me a ton of money, Andrew. I hear that all the time. So I realize for those of you that are regulars, you're like, I've heard Andrew say that a million times, but I can't help but to save another inventor with that advice. Um, okay, Melvin said, thank you, Andrew, much respect. I hesitate because an idea that I could literally, I, I have could literally change the world. Okay, so for, I haven't even read the rest of his question yet. When you have an idea that can change the world or are gonna make millions, never say either of those things. It's a giant red flag. It's fine that Melvin said it to me but never ever say that to a marketing manager. Well, if we only get 2% of the market, we'll both make millions or we'll both make a bunch. Don't say any of that ever. And don't don't say ever, I wanna sell you my pan. Don't say if we only get such and such percent of the market and don't ever say it'll change the world. Trust me, if they see the benefits and you've done your marketing well, they could see that. You should never, ever, ever, ever say it, okay? Because so many inventors use those words and it gets overused. And most of the time it's not true. But even if it is true, don't say it, okay? Um, uh, so he said, I have a product that li could literally change the world or it could be done wrong, trashed by cheap imitators, suppressed by energy barons, et cetera. Okay, so I had a feeling that Melvin, it was an energy-related product. I did a whole ramble, I think, last Thursday on LinkedIn about energy inventors. So Melvin, when you're an energy inventor, um, and I forget if it was you, Melvin, or if it was somebody else, people will perceive you as nutty. And I would say half of the energy inventors I talk to are nuts. They're, they might as well have a sign around their neck and they're wandering around New York City saying the world is going to end. I'm not saying the world isn't going to end. There's some scary stuff going on now. But they're perceived as nuts. So if you're a legit and you got an engineering background, you figured out something with regards to energy and it could change the world, um, you need to back it up with facts so they don't put you in that crazy category. Um, so make sure they don't put you in that crazy category by saying things like that. And when you have an energy invention, you kind of need to show some proof. And the problem there is sometimes with energy inventions, you'll need a couple hundred grand to do some testing to even prove it out. But I talked to a guy the other day and, and he said he had a, a working prototype. I'm like, or a small scale. I said, that's fantastic. Also, when you have an energy invention, try to go small scale. How could this be worked on a generator, a small one for the house or a lawnmower, and then go, okay, how could it power the world or a city or something? So you try to license it on a small scale and go bigger. That's general advice. It really depends on your energy type invention. But now I see why Melvin said that, but you also guys are getting advice for general products. If you're an energy product, don't say that, okay? Um, Okay. Uh, Scott says, what is the weekly curriculum slash class time can one expect on a weekly basis as an event rights student? Is there a minimum time period or class time before working on your first product? No, there's no class. I like to make that clear because I think most of you don't want to go back to school. Okay. But if you had a mentor that's going to go, hey, for your whatever, this is my 
my wallet that sticks to my back of my cell phone case. No big deal. Everybody has these now. But um, but let's say this is the invention. When they're looking at your particular invention, right? And they're saying, oh, I see the product. This is how we're going to make our list of companies. Here's how we're going to do our marketing. Oh, that company reached out and said that. Okay, let's say this back. When you get that kind of guidance, that is worth its weight in gold. So there is no class. There is no test. You working on your project and your coach guiding you is your test. Okay, that's your experience. I call it experiential learning. So no class. The curriculum is the 10 steps, but the goal is to license your product, go through the steps and to apply it to your real life product from day one. That's how we work with folks. Um, so I, I would say as far as time goes, you need two to six hours a week. It could be as little as two. That would be fine. And one thing I've noticed over the last 23 years of doing EventRite, it's more about doing it every week. I don't care if you did one hour a week on this one week and did three the next week. That would be perfectly fine. When it's part of your weekly routine, that's when you have success. When a coach is there to guide you, you're like you're a half a foot off the path and they get you back on. They're telling you exactly what to do. That is like gold. That is where it's at. So you need, I would say, two to six hours a week. There could be a week where you only do one hour. But again, uh, and you could go on vacation. You don't do anything one week. You don't need to start starting a business. You don't need 50 hours a week. You don't need to dump everything else you're doing. But you need the time to meet with your coach every week, email them anytime, and then and then move forward. But it's not a class, okay? Um, not a class. That's really important. People don't want to take a class. And it's like, well, I got to figure out how this applies to me. Like they, they want advice. I want to work on my project. You know. Um, oh, okay. So Tom is clarifying with regards to design studio. He said he never hired them before, but other services have been difficult to work with designing a digital prototype. So Tony wasn't even hasn't even worked with our design studio. He's talking about um, like websites like Fiverr and others like that, which can be very problematic. Um, we actually started our design studio, Tony because so many of our students back in the day were using Fiverr and getting very frustrated. You also got to need to be very careful with Fiverr. Their, their, their terms require you to publicly disclose your product where the, the, the designer can use your product, their portfolio. Now, I got an update recently that said there's a checkbox that says, don't do that. But I don't think the designers are paying attention because one of our coaches said, look, I had it happen to me. I, I sent them a product and I checked that box, don't publicly disclose it. And it was lo and behold, it was up on their website. So when you get these graphic designers that, you know, they're just trying to do piecemeal work and they're in third world countries, like a lot of them are really cool and very talented, but um, you, you can't trust that they're going to do the right thing there, right? With regards to, so now we will always do the right thing. Everything you share with us is, 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 uh, is, you know, and we're a solid company, been around 23 years. Everything you share with us is confidential. So very, very different, Tony. So thank you for that clarification. Um, so yeah, you don't need to email our customer service manager or anything like that because you're not you're not doing a sell sheet with us or a, or a virtual prototype with us. But I've talked to a lot of people who get very, very frustrated um, with getting a digital prototype, as you call it, or we call it a virtual prototype. Uh, but man, some of the virtual prototypes we do for our students are absolutely beautiful. They're amazing. Um, they really are. Uh, Steve Murray said, when thinking of royalty rates, is a percentage normally computed on the wholesale or retail? Wholesale, um, Steve, it's just easier to calculate. So for those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, when you get a royalty, 
when a manufacturer you license to sells to let's say walmart the price they might sell it to walmart for five bucks and then it sells at walmart for 10 you get the royalty rate on the wholesale price because that's easy to track it's all relative you you can't track the retail because what there's you know guys there's discounts there's clearance there's all sorts of stuff where there was sales you know so you could never track the retail price but the price that the company you license to sells the retailer for that's always completely trackable you know so that's why you want to get it on that so if you want it higher just make it a little bit higher um now some of our students like the the company they license to will sell directly to the consumer from their website or from amazon and they'll get the same royalty rate as they're getting from the wholesale and that's pretty cool. I always wonder why companies do that. It should be lower, but some companies will agree to it. And it's like, geez, did they realize what they agreed to? And they did, I guess, or they didn't, or we just did a good job at helping them close that deal. But yeah, normally it's on the um, wholesale price, Steve. That was a great, great question. Um, huh. I, you know, I don't know. I don't want to. Richard said, internet is being flooded when a company called you know, I saw something about this the other day. I think, are you, are you, I don't know if you're working for them, Richard, probably not. Internet is being flooded when a company called Timu with wonderful and unique products at a very cheap price. Are they an asset or competition? No, I, I saw some stuff. Maybe they're advertising a lot because I noticed that. And it was like, it was like, it's something for like $2.65 that should be $50. Guys, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. You know, you're going to see stuff like that on AliExpress and other stuff. You know, if you see something that's supposed to be $50 and they're selling it for $2.65, they're going to ship it direct from China, blah, blah, blah. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. So, um, Richard, I don't know if you work for them. Um, I, I think I, I hesitate because I'm afraid of doing something wrong in the process. Okay. No, it sounds like you're legit. You're not promoting them, Richard. But, um, yeah, you're, you hesitate because you're doing something wrong in the process. No, and Richard, that, that Timu wholesale or whatever, that I, I've seen them too recently, just this last week, I noticed they, you wouldn't license to them. They're not a manufacturer. They're just slocking crap and promising people prices that are ridiculous. I don't know if they're actually delivering it, um, but they wouldn't be a potential licensee. But you said you hesitate because I'm, you're worried about doing something wrong. Yeah. So shameless plug. I mean, if a coach is guiding you and they're looking at your product, not only are they going to tell you doing it right, but you're doing it right for that particular product. That's pretty amazing. So you can go to our website inventright.com and check out i'll put it in the chat here and check out how we help and just give us a call um book an appointment on the contact us page with sylvia or dana and they will talk to you about um, our programs they're really chill even if you're like i'm not ready yet but um how would this work and blah blah, blah. um okay scott uh says regarding today's theme which is hesitating why are you hesitating um, hesitate due to being a stay-at-home parent and with fearful of wasting money to pursue what may be a terrible idea to the market. Okay, great. Um, so first of all, being a stay-at-home parent, licensing would freaking rock, Scott, because it's something you can time shift. Nobody's going to yell at you and say, where's my paycheck? Where's my order? So you could slack off a little one week and kick butt the next week and, and you'll be fine. So that it offers incredible flexibility. A lot of what you're doing, you're not talking on the phone. So you could have kids screaming in the background and you could be on LinkedIn submitting, submitting to people or what have you and you'd be just fine. 
it, when you when you get that rare company that wants to license your product, you get on the phone, tell your kids to be quiet or lock yourself in a room to talk. But so the flexibility that licensing offers is incredible. But with that flexibility comes responsibility, okay? So um, yeah, you know, with the approaches we teach, it's extremely low risk, but you know, if you're gonna pay us for coaching and I can't promise that you are going to earn that money back quickly. We're not teaching you to sell a few tchotchkes on eBay. So it's an all or nothing thing. When you do a big deal with the company, um, you're getting a whole bunch of money or you didn't do a deal at all. You know, so it's not like, oh, you're going to sell a few here, fill a few there. Oh, I'll pay back, you know, what the coaching costs. I, I tell people, if you're thinking like that, don't. And if you can't afford it, don't. If you're not paying your utility bill because you're paying us, don't. Save up money and do it when it's right if you're interested. So, um, but it sounds like your other part of your, what, what you were saying is you, you were wondering if it's a terrible idea. Um you should, I mean, a coach could help you study the micro category of your invention, all the other products in that space. Um, but look at the other products in the space and go, does it make sense? Not, oh, I would want it, but would other people want it? Look at all the other products. So if you're doing a kitchen cutting board, look at all the kitchen cutting boards. If you're doing a doorstop, look at all the doorstops. Look at all that stuff in that space. And if you feel like in your heart of hearts, or not your heart, but your facts, the market, and I believe it would fit, then go for it, you know? And of course we get more in the weeds when we coach and mentor people as to what's working and what's what what, what makes sense and what's not, and if you need to tweak it. Um, now, what you could do, Scott, is you could do a one hour kickstart call with our head coach, Terry, and he could tell you if it makes sense or not, and he can talk about a bunch of other stuff in an hour or two. And then that money you pay for that, you can actually credit towards the full coaching. I would say about, 60% of the people sign up for the full coaching. The other 40 that, that do that one hour call that don't, um, they are like, well, that was amazing. That was fantastic. So you just go to InventRight and then you click on services and then all services and you page down and you'll see that one hour coaching session there. So you might, that might be a good way, Scott, to really get your bearings with things. Um, Doug said, I have a patent on a product for ice fishing and I'm having trouble moving forward with it. I spent a good amount of money already on and other companies. And a, I don't know why these keep getting cut off. It's so weird. But anyway, that's enough. Oh, uh, and then you wrote down here also, Doug, I have a patent on a product uh, through, and then you mentioned the company name, which I won't mention. I've already spent uh, 20K. Wow and don't know what to do from here. Other companies want me to pay up to another 15K for licensing. So Doug, we're, we're not we're not an adventure promotion company, man. Um, we're not gonna do the work for you. We're gonna coach and mentor you through it all from have an idea to a licensing deal, got a negotiation coach, but we're gonna expect you to do work. These other companies you work with probably didn't expect you to do anything, but they just wanna give you these large sums of money. Um, I would recommend that you stop doing that. Um, and I can't talk about any companies in particular, um, but I, if, if that's not working for you, and I personally never met an inventor in 23 years of a new event, right, where that worked for them, um, but you see our students are licensing stuff all the time, but we're going to make you do work. We scare away a lot of inventors. Oh, I got this great idea. It's a million dollar idea. I just need somebody to take it and run with it. I'm like, yeah, you do. It's called a licensee. It's called a company, a manufacturer, you manufacture that type of product. We can guide you to do that, but you have to be willing to do some work. And other companies will say, you don't have to do anything. And they'll ask you for 10 or 12 or 20 grand or something like that. And I've personally never met an inventor that 
that has ever licensed a product that way. I've been doing this for 23 years at InventRight, and I ran inventor groups for 14 years. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? So, so stop making that that mistake. Um, if you want to do the work, we can help you. But if you don't want to do the work, don't call us because we can only help people that want to help themselves. That's how we work. Um, and we had we had Kathy Vidal, the director of the entire patent office, come on one of our IGA webinars. They don't do that with invention promotion companies. Are you kidding me? They wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. So, you know, but just because we are the good guys and we will guide you doesn't mean that's what you want. You've been wanting somebody to do it for you, but maybe you didn't think you could do it yourself, but most people don't. When people have been watching us, they become empowered. Whether or not they sign up for a coaching or they do it on their own, but either way, they become empowered and we remove all those roadblocks. And that's why I think a lot of people hesitate because they just perceive these roadblocks, which is our theme today. Why are you hesitating? So um, uh, let's see. Uh, Melvin earlier, who had the energy invention. Thank you, Andrew. Ha ha. You're cracking me up, man. Crazy inventor. Yep. But it works. My idea works. Woohoo. Thank you for your honest answer. Great day to you. That's great. I'm glad you took that well, Melvin, because I did it on another live stream. And the guy was almost like, I think initially he was kind of invented. I'm not crazy, blah, blah, blah. I've got a technical background. Blah, blah. And it was like, like, I didn't say you're crazy. I'm telling you, I talked to a lot of inventors that are in the energy. Like, I got a car that can run off a liter of gas for a year. I'm like, and you could just kind of tell by the way the guy's talking. You ask if he has any technical background. He has none. He's just delusional. And, and I don't get that. I get it. I don't get it very often. Those people don't typically call us. But if they do, half the time, it's like uh, an energy invention. I have a perpetual motion machine or something like that. Um, so let's see. Oh, Carlos said, I'm thinking uh, I'm hesitating because of too many ideas. Not sure which one to start with. So that's what's great. When, when we get people that sign up with our coaching and um, they have a lot of ideas, we, we kind of give them some criteria to whittle it down to maybe three or five because you only need one to start with. And then the coach will guide you. Here are the upsides and downsides of number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And, you know, they might say, well, I don't have enough information to help you make a decision on three of these. Two of these, you give me enough info, but you need to go out and do some research and bring that back and then we can figure it out. Or they might say, well, hey, these one of these two is great. Let's just start with one of these two. So, but to learn how to evaluate the licensability of these different products, we could totally help you with that, Carlos, totally. Um, I love doing that with people. You can't go over a hundred ideas. So you got to kind of whittle it down to five and, and then go over those. Cause you're just looking for one to start with. Right. Um, but yeah, you can't go over a hundred. I've had students try it, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I don't think that's a problem. And you, and I think, you know, if you learn to evaluate them as a huge, huge benefit, um, uh, Brett said, I've had very good results using a freelancer from Upwork. That's great, Brett. Yeah, Upwork's a little bit different than um, Fiverr, but I've had a lot of people complain about, I've talked to quite a few inventors that got taken by, in my opinion, they were taken by engineers on Upwork, uh, you know, where it's just like the inventor falsely believed I need to do all this engineering. And, you know, when then later they came on board with us and the company looked at it and they're like, I can't use any of this. That's not, that doesn't even make sense. It's not manufacturable. We wouldn't use that same type of mold. We wouldn't do this or that. And the engineer wasn't guiding the inventor properly. But um, yeah, you can find freelancers out there. It doesn't have to be 
um, us doing the sell sheet and the virtual prototype. This month, we're giving away a sell sheet, a virtual prototype, an extra month um, of coaching, of one-on-one -on -one coaching, and an all access, which is a list of companies, if you sign up for premium. So you're gonna start to see that come out that just came out today. We've never done that before. Usually if we do a promo, it'll be like one of those things. It won't be like all four of those things. But if you go to our website, you'll see the info on that. So that was just a little shameless plug there. Um, okay, guys, I got a, I'm about 46 minutes over. I had a blast today. Um, I'm noticing that I'm getting a little older, so I'm probably need to start to wear these glasses more often than I want, but no big deal there. Um, you guys had great questions today. Check out inventright.com. There's a link in the chat. We got a free resources page you can see there. Um, we also got, um, you can look at some of our students' products that are currently on the market. Again, we have students that are doing industrial or commercial products. We don't have those up there. So you can license industrial and commercial products as well, without a doubt. But we don't have that up on where you can buy it on Amazon or something. That's not up on our site. Um, but a lot of those are on the testimonial page too. Um, also, if you're thinking about getting the one-on-one -on -one coaching, we have that special, more info about that up on the website. And I uh, just want to remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye. Thank you so much.